There, there was once a pastor who felt very, very strongly like God was directing him to, to lead the church in a certain direction. And he just couldn't get out of his mind. He just knew that this is where God wanted the church to go. And so he presented the ideas that he had had in the next elders meeting. He gave his most impassioned plea. He was trying to sell this thing to the elder board. And then came time for the discussion. And the discussion wasn't going as well as what he had hoped. And so he kept arguing and arguing for his ideas. And eventually it came down time for the elders to vote. And after the uh, vote, uh, the, uh, the elders had actually voted against the idea. It was 12 to 1. At that point, the chairman of the elders said, Well, we're done with the meeting. Uh, pastor, why don't you go ahead and pray for us as we conclude? And so the pastor begins to pray, Lord, I know that these men have not listened to you like I have listened to you. Lord, they are stubborn and set in their ways. Please, Lord, let them see that this vision that you've given to me is really the vision that we need to take on as a church at that exact moment. Before he even said amen, a, a clap of thunder and a bolt of lightning just lit up the sky. The, the lightning bolt came through the window, hit the, the board table, split it in half, smoke filled the room, elders were scattered all over the room. At that exact moment, the chairman of the elders got up and said, Okay, so the vote is 12 to 2. <laughs> we are we're in this uh, short little uh, 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 series about eldership or church leadership and how we're looking at servants who lead and leaders who serve. And, and last week and this week, I really wanted to talk about our elders because when we come to our annual meeting, we're going to be voting on uh, or affirming the elders that are put up before the congregation. Um, what kind of people are elders supposed to be? Uh, are, are they to be like that guy, stubborn and authoritative and not going to listen to anything, uh, even if it comes directly from God? Are, 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 they, are they to operate under their own strength, their own wisdom? What qualifies a, a person to serve as an elder of a church? It's interesting, because when you compare the qualifications for president of the United States... Let's look at that. Do you know what the qualifications are for president of the United States according to the Constitution? First of all, you've got, you got to be 35 years old, right? You've got to have been a natural-born citizen, and you have to have been a permanent resident of the United States for 14 years. That's it. There's, there's no moral test. There's no intelligence test. Your joke here, I know, I know. There, there, there's no past experience that is required, and that's, to me, a little scary. So thank God that when it comes to the church and, and the leadership that the church is supposed to have, according to the Bible, I, I am so grateful that God has established a much higher standard. Because as important as leadership in our country is, leadership in God's kingdom is even more so. God has established this high standard. And as we gather today, I, I think it would be appropriate to look into those standards that God has set when it comes to the leadership of our church. Now, last week, as I began this series, I, I shared with you the biblical model of shared leadership. You remember that? Uh, that, that, that Jesus said, listen, 
It's not just supposed to be one guy in charge of the whole thing. And, and your leaders are supposed to be your servants. We saw the role that an elder is supposed to play in the leadership of local congregations. So the fact that we have been established 75 years ago as an elder-led church, that's actually a very good thing. It's a very biblical thing. But again, what are those elders supposed to be like? There are two main passages in the New Testament that actually outline the standards. Uh, Paul is writing to two young uh, pastors, Timothy and Titus. And and as he uh, begins to talk to them, he's teaching them, training them on how to install leaders that will be godly leaders for his church. There are two passages, the first in 1 Timothy 3 and the other one in Titus 1. Here's what 1 Timothy 3 says. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Then uh, from Titus chapter 1, Paul says to Titus, The reason I left you in Crete was so that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. By the way, as people still can come in, uh, we have some uh, spots at tables. And again, our front row is still open, so just so you know. Now, I've seen a lot of different uh, ways of approaching this. I've seen uh, weeks-long studies on each and every one of these uh, qualifications for elders. And that's not a bad idea, but sometimes I think we get lost in the... the in the trees without seeing the big picture. And so we we think this is just a checklist and we become kind of dogmatic about that checklist without understanding the principle, the heart behind the principles. See, it's important to note that there's an overall qualification in both those passages, that the elders are supposed to be above reproach. That's actually a really important key to understand the, the, the character of our elders, to be above approach. The, the, the context of all of these qualifications is the integrity of these elders, that they're not open to accusation. Now, that doesn't mean that they're perfect. That does not mean that they don't struggle with their sin nature at times. If that was the case, I don't believe any human being would, would ever be able to fulfill all the requirements. 
But it does mean that the elder should be living a life in such a way that their life demonstrates more and more the characteristics and the qualities of leadership that God has called them into. There's a story about the the man who was in charge of building the Panama Canal, a a, a Colonel George Gettles. And and, uh, though he was struggling with the geography down there and the climate as he's building the Panama Canal, he's also dealing with a bunch of stuff going on back at home, on the home front, as all of these politicians were just giving him grief. They, 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 were, they, were, uh, they, they were saying that he's not going to be able to build this, he's not going to be able to build it on time. They, they kept criticizing him, but, but he kept going without saying a word. One time somebody came up to him and says, George, aren't you going to answer your critics? And Gettle said, yeah, in time I, I will. And they said, well, how are you going to, to deal with him? He said, I'm going to show them the finished canal. I'm going to show them the finished canal. You see, he he was not going to get into any kind of argument or become defensive. He knew what his job was, and he was going to allow his life and his life's work to actually be the, the, the one that gives the defense of what he was doing. In the same way, an elder needs to have integrity so that once we see what he is doing, where we see that his life demonstrates these characteristics. And so what are these characteristics all about? I want to look at, not instead of each requirement in detail, I've kind of grouped them into categories that give us a much better idea of the principles of letting their life show what their, their integrity is all about. First of all, let's get this one out of the way. A elder must be male. Okay, now... I realize that this could be a hot topic button if we don't understand it properly, okay? I've heard actually some pretty strong opinions against Christianity because, uh, well, there's this perception that Christianity somehow hates women. First of all, I want to tell you, historically speaking, nothing could be further from the truth. History will show us that women actually found an elevated value in the early church, than any other time in history. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes and explains that in Christ, there is no male or female. He says it doesn't matter if you're a male or female, or if you are a master or slave, or if you are a Jew or a Greek. Now, that that didn't mean that people were blind to the variety of those who were coming into the church and, and coming to Christ. But what it did mean was that when you got to Christ, the, the ground at the foot of the cross was level. There was no hierarchy by way of worth and value and equality. It meant that there was not to be any racial or gender or uh, class inequality. It didn't matter who you were. If you came to Christ, you were included in the family of God and you were important and you had a role to fulfill. So under these new rules, folks, women enjoyed this greater equality They were just as involved as men, if not more so, in many aspects of ministry. And they were treated with much more respect than their non-Christian counterparts. So don't let anybody tell you that just because there are certain roles that, that are to be fulfilled by men, it doesn't mean at all that women are second class at all in the church. Because history will show you that that's absolutely wrong. And the people who argue that are, are pretty naive and uh, they, they don't understand their history. See, it has nothing to do with equality. It has everything to do with roles. 
that men and women play in their relationship with each other and in the relationship in the context of the family. You see, from the very, very beginning, when God made man and woman, he made them both in his image. They, they enjoyed equality in the Garden of Eden, but they had different roles. And God's design for the man was that he would be the overseer of the family, that he would, uh, and that would include his wife. Not in an authoritarian manner, that what I say goes right out the windows. For some of you guys, I know that. What I say goes, and I, I'm going to rule this with an iron fist at all. But the man was called to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And folks, the way that Christ loved the church was to die and to give himself up for the church so that she might become blameless and, 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 and purified. And so the man was supposed to be the protector and the provider so that his wife would have her greatest needs of, of knowing that she was loved and knowing that she was secure, that those would be met. So the man was called to provide material for his family. He was the one who was going to, to take the responsibility of teaching structure to his children. Therefore, in the same manner that God called men to take on spiritual leadership in the home, God called men into spiritual leaders, uh, leadership of his family, the church as a whole. Okay? So that's that. I'm done with that one. If you have questions, andyb.pbcc at gmail.com. Kidding. Number two, they must be motivated. Elders must be motivated. Paul prefaces this whole list there in 1 Timothy 3 with these words. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, wait a second. Now, Josh, we're going to skip over the next slide. So just stay on this slide until we get to the next uh, 1 Peter 5, okay? Thanks, buddy. Um, Oh, I guess maybe we already did that. Never mind. Uh, anyways, now, when, when you read those words, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, I, I have to admit that at first glance, it would seem like we're looking for guys who want to be in charge. They, they've set their heart on being in charge. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sit well with me. When I'm looking at people's character, that here's these people clamoring to be in charge. They want to be in charge. I would have thought that God was looking for people who were humble, uh, who, who were servants who lead, and leaders who would serve. So maybe it's not what that really means. I think if we look at 1 Peter 5, we can get a better understanding of what it means to set your heart on being an overseer. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. That's a very key term. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. What you get here is a picture that's much less of an authoritarian, I want to be in charge, and much more of a servant's heart. We see here that the elder should not be in a position because he is under compulsion. 
See, I think that's really what uh, Paul means when he's talking in 1 Timothy, that if somebody sets his heart on being uh, an overseer, it means that he is willing not to be under obligation, but to heed a call from God. I, I, I bet you've seen workers who don't really understand the responsibility that they are called to in their work. People who see their work as a burden, like, oh man, I guess I have to do it. It's my turn. I guess I have to do this. I got to endure this. Uh, and they, they approach their job like they're under compulsion. I believe that this is really what Paul is trying to say, is that the eldership should not be that way. There should be this understanding of the responsibility and the God-given privilege that the office of an elder would bring to a man. And he should be willing to take on that spiritual leadership with a sense of desiring to do whatever God wants him to do. I can tell you from personal experience that every single one of our elders here at Powell Butte Christian Church were initially at least somewhat reluctant to take on that role because they weren't seeking a position of power and authority. But I can also tell you without reservation that each one of them were motivated by the desire to be obedient to God. And if God was calling them into this role, they were setting their hearts on that to do what God had called them to do. So they must be motivated. Number three, they must be mature. Paul expresses this qualification in a couple of different ways. Uh, There in 1 Timothy, he says that the elder must not be a recent convert. In in Titus, he emphasizes the need to be grounded in in God's word. And so uh, maturity really should be seen as both depth and longevity. So length and depth. See, if somebody is placed into position of leadership too quickly, um, too quickly after they become a Christian themselves, uh, there is just this likelihood that that the person could become prideful and see it as, well, hey, now I'm in charge. I get to have my way. And they might be then manipulated by their own sense of worth and, and their own self-centeredness. And they, they could become manipulated by the devil. Also, with recent converts, one cannot see long-term evidence, fruit in their life of a consistency in living by these standards. Today, at our annual meeting, you are not going to see any new proposed elders There's a couple elders that will be reaffirmed for another term, but you won't see any new elders. But you will see that we have two men who have consented to undergo a discipling process with our current elders. We've realized the importance of testing and vetting men whose names have been brought forth to us to serve in this capacity. But we want to get to know them. We want to get to know them. We want to see them operate in ministry. We want to give them an opportunity to make a deeper study for themselves, to to figure out what these responsibilities will be that they will have as elders. Now, sometime during this year, we may conclude as an elder board that they are ready to step into that role. And at that point, we will make the determination regarding the process of appointing and affirming them congregationally as elders. But there's the need to make sure, first of all, that they're mature that they're mature in their faith in order for them to actually serve in spiritual leadership here. But hand in hand with that longevity of being a Christian for a long time is the importance of the depth of the person as well. You know, just by being a disciple for a long period of time does not automatically qualify you to be in leadership. 
A, a prospective elder must be able to, de- to demonstrate this understanding of God's word. His life must demonstrate that he is actually living out the biblical principles consistently. There are some men, and again, I'm not looking at anybody here, but there are some men who have been believers for a long period of time who think, well, now I get to be an elder. But frankly, whose life just has never matured spiritually. And, and, and so they're not ready. And because of that, they're not qualified to be elders just because they've been around for a long time. They must be spiritually mature. Number four, they must be members. Now, we looked at this briefly last week. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, among you, as a fellow elder. See, elders are to come from among the flock. We don't build our leadership by drafting guys from other churches going, oh, he's really good. Let's, let's bring him in so that he can be a, an elder for our church as well. Uh, these men that are being uh, affirmed or reaffirmed today and those who will be affirmed later on uh, in, in our history or in, in our future, those guys will have been people who worship right alongside of us. They, they will be the one who serve right alongside of us, who, who minister, who, who put on the towel and actually get outside themselves and, and, and take care of the needs of other people. They will be the one who study with us. Uh, they're going to See, they have a very unique position because, yes, they will become shepherds of the flock, but they will never forget that they're also members of the flock themselves, never over anybody else. And in fact, every elder that's serving right now was proving his worth was proving his capabilities by serving as, as an elder almost and an active involvement in the church before we brought them on. See, you don't get the title and then you begin to serve as an elder. Uh, these men were already in some way acting as spiritual leaders and so we then recognized that and then conferred them uh, the, the title and the position of elder. They were members of our church. We knew them. Number five. They should be moderate. Seems like a majority of these qualifications fit into this category of moderate. Paul describes those qualifications both in a positive way and in a negative way. If you look at the positives, he's talking about these people need to be sober-minded or self-controlled or respectable, hospitable, gentle, lover of good, upright, holy, disciplined. Those are all very positive traits that show a moderate style of living, a decision not to go to one extreme or the other. He also expresses it in a negative term that these men are not to be drunkards or violent or quarrelsome. They're not to be a lover of money. They're not to be arrogant. They're not to be quick-tempered. See, the overall picture that's painted by these adjectives is that an elder practices moderation in all areas of his life. He doesn't live in the extremes except when it comes to to holding fast to the Word of God. That becomes the only extreme that these guys are to have. See, why? Well, to be, a mo- to, to be moderate in your lifestyle, it, it, it promotes unity. It promotes harmony within the body of Christ. Th- th- these are essential qualities when the elders exercise their responsibility to come alongside and admonish those in the church when they stray away from the Word of God so that they don't do it in an extreme manner. They do it in a very moderate, loving manner, measured. As we saw last week, biblical admonishment requires dealing with people with gentleness, with empathy, 
So you can't be violent or quarrelsome or arrogant when you, when you fulfill those kinds of roles. Ultimately, all of these things, when you are committed to living with, in a moderate way, that's rooted in humility. That's why we wanted to call this whole series Servants Who Lead and Leaders Who Serve. A man who is not humble enough to be willing to serve in a moderate manner cannot be used by God in leadership. Managers is number six, managers. Uh, when you read the, the account in Titus 1, Paul describes an elder as one who has been entrusted with God's work. That word entrusted is the word stewardship. Like God is the owner of the church, and now he is looking for managers, uh, people who will come along and operate like the owner would operate, but then would be much more in management as they were uh, among the people. Um, so whose church is this? Is it the elders' church? No. Is it my church? No. It's Jesus' church. This is God's church. And, and, and the elders have been called to manage. And, and so when you look at a man's life, you, you wonder how well does he manage his own family before we look at how he manages God's family. And, and there's a couple different uh, roles in the family that, that Paul looks at. The phrase, uh, the husband of one wife, for example. Now, there's been a lot of debate. Well, does that mean a divorced man cannot uh, be an elder? Well, we've actually had divorced men be elders here because we don't believe that that's what, this is, what Paul is talking about. Uh, does it mean that uh, the, the, uh, the person has to be married? Well, no, we have, we've, got, we've had single people be a part of our uh, eldership as well. In fact, one of our elders is a single man. Uh, well, what, what about, well, they, they have to have kids, right? No. Um, the pastors of our church are included in our eldership. And um, so far, Ethan, Pastor Ethan, is one of our elders. He doesn't have any kids, so does that disqualify him? No, I, that's not what any of this means. When you look at the husband of one wife, it really literally is, in the Greek, a one-woman man. We believe that what Paul is trying to talk about here is that the husband understands the importance of marriage, that God has designed marriage for a man and a woman to live together in a, in a relationship that reflects God's heart for his people, Christ's love for the church, and the church's devotion to Christ. And, and so we need to see a man devoted to that principle, who will be faithful to his wife and exercises loving leadership in that marriage relationship. That's really what we believe that Paul means. A, a man who does not do that in his home is not going to be able to be a, an effective leader in the body of Christ. An elder must also be consistent in managing his children, we find out. Once again, if, if the children are unruly and rebellious, uh, that man is not qualified to, to manage his church family either. Now, a couple of words of caution. First of all, there's nothing in this passage that, again, requires a man to be married or that he has kids. It really is the, the principle, the idea of what are you committed to when it comes to leadership in a family. And some of these people who do not have kids or do not have a wife, I know them. You look at their lives and they have managed their family, their brothers and sisters, their mom and dad. They have conducted themselves in a worthy manner, uh, well managed. See, Paul is much more concerned with the overall character than just being able to go through and check off a bunch of boxes on a checklist. 
There, there's a broader principle here that the elder must demonstrate that he is above reproach in those relationships. Finally, and again, we love when the pastor says finally, they are to be mentors. In 1 Timothy, we find that an elder must be able to teach. Paul would expand on that and say that an elder must be able to encourage others with sound doctrine and refute those who oppose sound doctrine. Now, I've already told you that an elder must be well-rooted in the Bible, but that spiritual maturity should not be for his own benefit. The elders must be able to pass that biblical understanding to others in the body to help people to apply what they're learning in their everyday lives because they may not always be serving as sitting elders. There are men in this congregation who are our elders. They will not come to elders' meetings. They are not active members of the elder board, but they, because they have never disqualified themselves as being an elder, they are either on sabbatical or they have stepped down into an emeritus role. Those men are still our elders. And I see them as our elders, and they always will be our elders. And when there becomes something very major that we need their input in, you better believe that we are bringing in people who used to serve actively as elders. Now, but each one of those guys have been able to pass along their knowledge of the Bible and their commitment to serving to other people. Uh, That's why we now have these disciple elders coming on board. The elders must be able to to take what they are learning and, and actively living out and bringing other people along so that there will be a continual eldership, leadership of the church, that there will not be any kind of gaps that is going on. As we focus more and more on discipleship in 2020, our elders are going to be the ones who will be discipling other people, who will pass on sound doctrine and godly practices to others. And that will happen in in a number of ways. I might bring up elders to come preach one of these days. Don't be surprised if that happens. Uh, They're going to pass it along as they serve as Sunday school teachers or or life group leaders. Some of them will disciple one-on-one. See, these men uh, have been given a great responsibility for the care and the provision and the protection of this flock. And so it is good for them to be able to pass those on as they mentor other leaders. Now, I hope that you're going to be sticking around uh, for the potluck and meeting time because you'll see this process at work. You'll get to meet the uh, two uh, uh, elder uh, disciples uh, just so you get to know who they are. Um, And and you'll get to see the structure and the manner in which we strive to operate here as a church. But ultimately, we must understand that it's a God system that we hold on to. That this is not something that any one person says, this is the way we're going to do it. Uh, God has told us how to do it. And that's why it's even good to have a plurality of eldership. Because not one person can, can go rogue on us. And because when that happens, disunity happens, churches split, and it's never a healthy thing. And so it's good to know who is supposed to be in charge. Right now, I'd invite the worship team to come on up. And as they do so, I, I want to tell you this, uh, this story. <laughs> and I even had to practice it with Ethan because I, I had to get it right. But apparently there was a uh, fairly major automobile accident. Nobody was seriously injured. Nobody had been killed. Uh, but it was kind of a disarray once the police got onto the scene because nobody was in the right frame of mind to tell the police what had happened. 
that they were, they were trying to talk to people and that they just didn't seem to be connecting. Well, one of the officers came up to the guy in charge and said, sir, I know this sounds crazy, but uh, apparently the family uh, in this car, in the car wreck, they have a pet monkey with them. And apparently the, the pet monkey uh, can communicate through sign language. Well, the, the guy in charge says, you've got to be kidding me. And they said, no, no, no. So they brought the monkey there and uh, the, the guy in charge says, well... Um, tell me about what was going on. What, what, what was the father doing? The monkey goes, Oh, okay, I see what's going on. Well, what, what about the wife? I'm getting the, I'm getting the picture. I'm getting the picture. Okay, well, what, what, what about the kids? Yeah, well, what were you doing? Sometimes church life, because we're a family, gets kind of crazy like that. And it's good to know that the monkeys are not in charge. (laughs) That God has put these godly men at the helm. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to be talking about what our responsibility is to those men. But I do know that one of our responsibilities is to pray for them. And I already brought the, the, the elders up last week that we could pray for them. And, and many of them uh, could be there uh, last week. Some of them are not able to be here today. But I just want you guys to understand that it's important to pray for these men that they do not go rogue, that they are men who listen to God's word, who follow God's spirit, so that when they set the direction for our church, as they are the protectors of our DNA, that we are able to trust them because we trust God, and we trust God's system, and we trust God's word. That's really, really the, the most important.